So, I don't know about you, but I think we, Easter sometimes it can be a little odd, right? It's an event that happened over 2,000 years ago. And I think if you're anything like me, if you're somewhat analytical and you like to pick things apart, you may ask the simple question, how can something that happened 2,000 years ago affect my life today? How can something that happened so long ago actually affect the here and the now? Because I I think this is what happens. Oftentimes, we kind of get comfortable into this idea that Easter is just another holiday, right? It's just another holiday that we celebrate and we do the egg hunts and we come to church, you know, the one time that we come to church and we do our thing and then we go out of here and all we do, if we're not careful, it just becomes another holiday. But I want you to ask yourself this question. How does something that happened 2,000 years ago actually affect the here and now? And the truth is it can. Something that happened over 2,000 years ago can actually affect and transform your life today. Resurrection is not just history. The resurrection is not just a piece that we open in a book and we celebrate it and say, yeah, that happened. See, the resurrection is actually alive today. As you saw in the video, but when Jesus rose from the grave, this is what I want to talk about this morning, that hope was actually given a name. That hope began to come alive. And we know what happened on Friday, right? We know that on Friday that Jesus went to the cross. And ultimately on Friday there was, it was almost like justice came to town and said, you know what, today you're going to pay for every debt that you've ever done. It was like you walking up to a bank and them saying, hey, listen, you owe $100 million, and if you don't pay it today, something's going to go wrong. How many of you know, just show of hands, how many of you know, like, you'd be dying, (laughs) right? They said, hey, that debt is due right now. None of us would have made it. And this is the beauty of the cross, that Jesus took a debt that we could not ever pay back. He took a debt that was so big, it was so huge, it was so massive that none of us could have ever taken it on ourselves. Think about it for a moment. The cross is actually pure madness. It's insanity. Like that Jesus, who was God, who was perfect and who was sinless, who got accused of things that he never did, said, you know what, I'll take their place. I'll take their place. I'll go through the suffering, I'll go through the trial, I'll, I'll die on the cross, I'll pay the debt that they could never pay. Here's the truth, I want you to understand this, and some of you got to get this in your head this morning. The cross was simply this, I know every mistake that you've ever made, every regret that you ever have, every bad decision that you wished would have never happened. All the things that you said, man, if I could just turn back the tables of time, I would change this. Jesus stepped into that point in human history and said, listen, I know everything that you were ever going to do, every regret that you ever had, every mistake that you would ever make, every relationship that you feel like you would ruin, and here's the truth, I still love you enough to die for you. See, the cross is not contingent on what you've done or how good you can be. See, the cross was only contingent on how good our God was, that's why we call it Good Friday. It was not contingent on how good you were. And I think sometimes in Christianity, we get it backwards, right? We feel like, well, I'll go to Jesus and I'll go to church when I can clean myself up. The cross is a declaration that says you couldn't clean yourself up and I had to pay a debt because you couldn't afford it. That's what it was. We talk a lot about Friday, 
But I think we don't talk a lot about Saturday, but if I had to make a bet today, I would bet that most of us find ourselves in Saturday. Because Friday was the day that, you know, Jesus paid for our debts, but what happened on Saturday? See, Saturday was the day of doubt. Like, wait, hold on a second. Like, he was God, right? He said that he was going to do all these things, and then Saturday kicks in, and everybody's just going to think that Jesus is going to do what dead people do, right? Stay dead. (laughs) So Saturday is the day that all the believers, all of his followers are going, wait, hold on a second. He's dead, and is he really going to rise from the grave? Is Is that really going to happen? Saturday was the day that doubt set in. Saturday was the day that depression tried to get the best of you. Saturday was the day that anxiety took over and said, hold on, have I just followed a man for three years and it has been for nothing? Saturday was the day that doubt tried to overwhelm us. But the truth is, millennia before the resurrection, there was a prophecy from King David in Psalm 1610, and it'll be on the screens, and it said this, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. So there's this prophecy, literally millennia before Jesus actually rises. And David says, listen, I know there's going to be a day of doubt. I know there's going to be a day when you feel like everything in your life is broken and it doesn't make sense. But there's this prophecy that exists and says, hold on. Jesus is not going to leave you in Saturday. And that's when we get to Sunday. See, Sunday is the day of the resurrection. This was the day that death was defeated and hope was given a name. See, the cross paid our debts, but the resurrection defeated death. Because Jesus did what no man could ever do. He was placed in a tomb, and ultimately he said, listen, every doubt, every piece of shame that you have, every regret, every bad decision, every mistake, here's what you have this morning. You have the opportunity to leave it in the grave and trust in your risen Savior and say, I'm going to make all things new. That's what we have this morning. See, in Luke 24, verse 1 through 3, there's this famous story when these women are preparing these spices to go to the tomb. It'd be the equivalent of what we would do when we go visit, you know, a grandmother, a mother, or a father at a tomb. And we, we go and we bring flowers, right? And we visit their grave. Well, keep in mind, these women are just doing what they do to all dead people. And they're preparing these spices. And they prepare to bring it to the tomb. And it says this, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And I want to pause here for a moment because my prayer today for you, for myself, and for all of us is that you would be able to wake up tomorrow and your shame would be left in the grave and that you would be able to understand that the tomb has been rolled away. See, this is why the resurrection is actually living. Look, this is not just a piece of history. This is a supernatural power that you can tap into right now, today. That Jesus actually affords us the opportunity of hope. Like, no matter how bad you think that you have become, 
No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter, well, you say, well, I've crossed over the line, Pastor Zach. You don't understand. I've done some things that I regret. I've done some things that I can never be forgiven of. Well, let's go back to the cross for a second. Because the cross, what was it? It was a declaration that the cross paid for your mess. Right? The cross says, I knew every mistake you would ever make, and I chose to love you. You want to know the greatest lie that most of us believe? The greatest lie is this. I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. I can't tell you how many times I hear that over and over and over. Well, I'm not good enough to walk into church. I don't have the right clothes. Since when did we make the gospel about what you wear? I don't look the part. Listen, you don't have to look the part because the cross is a declaration that Jesus paid for your mess and he knows the person that you are right now and it says that he still loves you regardless. Wherever you're at, whatever you're walking through, cross paid for your mess. I want to take you back to ancient times. There is a story of the Passover. And during the Passover... God commands his children, and he says, hey, listen, the angel of death is going to pass through your town. And if you don't sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood over the doorpost, the angel of death will take your firstborn son from you. But listen, all you have to do is sacrifice the lamb, paint the blood over your doorpost, and the angel of death will pass you on by, and your firstborn will be fine. But... I want to just imagine for a moment, imagine that there is a conversation that takes place in this moment and between this guy, Smith and Brown, two Jews, and they, birth, they both hear the news that the angel of death is going to pass by, and they both hear the news they've got to sacrifice the lamb, so they both go out to the field and they sacrifice the lamb. And Smith asks Brown, he says, man, are you, are you scared that you're going to lose a son? And Brown replies, well, I'm, I'm nervous that I didn't paint enough blood. <laughs> I'm, nervous. I'm nervous that I didn't paint it enough and maybe the angel of death won't see it. So I'm soaking my entire doorpost in blood to make sure that he sees it. And Brown asks Smith, he says, well, are you scared to lose your son? And Smith replies, no, bring it on. I trust in the promises of God. Now let me ask you a question. One had very little faith and one had a whole lot of faith. Which one lost their son? Neither. So, so let's bring it back, and I want you to understand this. It's not the intensity of your faith, but the object of your faith that saves. So, so here's what you have to understand. It's not how much you know. It's not how far you have come. It's not like, well, did I pray enough? Did I cry enough? Did I repent enough? Did I say the prayer right? Listen, it's not how you do any of that. Ultimately, it's the object who is Jesus that saves you. It's not how long you prayed. You could pray 100 words or 10,000 words. God still hears you. It's not the intensity of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 puts it like this. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. 
So yet again, the, the cross says, I paid for your mess. But here's where I want you to get at this morning. Here's where I want you to arrive at this morning, is that the resurrection means that Jesus came back for your mess. Because the truth is, he didn't just die for your mess. He said, hold on, no, 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 I'm coming back for it. I'm not just going to leave you there. I'm not just going to leave you a mess. I'm actually coming back. Because there is a power in this resurrection that says, I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back to repair the things that are broken inside of you. I'm coming back to remove the shame and the guilt and the oppression and the anxiety and the oppression. I'm coming back to take those things. See, if the cross was all we had, it would have meant that Jesus died and Christianity was over. There would have been no hope because he made too many claims about himself. About two years ago, I had this bright idea to let my wife stay at home and take all five kids to Chick-fil-A horrible idea. Um, and maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but we run into Chick-fil-A, and when you have five kids, at the time, we didn't, have, we didn't have Caroline, we had five at the time. We added another one, but you know how that happens, so I'll leave you to yourself. But anyway, um, so we had another one, and we, we walk into Chick-fil-A, and when you have five kids, when you are ordering food, before you walk into the restaurant, you're saying, okay, listen, dad's going to order, y'all stand right here. If I see, like, any of y'all move out of line, like, when we get in the van, you know what's happening, <laughs> right? So y'all all stay right here. So I'm ordering the nuggets, and I'm looking down, one, two, three, four, five. All right, good. I'm ordering, okay, yes, I'll take large Coke. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Wait, hold on. Where's the fifth one? And I notice my son, Peter, is gone. And there is this moment that happens when you are a parent, and you lose a child. Two emotions that you feel. I'm going to kill them, <laughs> right? It's anger, and then all of a sudden, it's panic. Oh, my God, where are they? So what happens? We, start, we drop the ordering of food, and we start looking all around the restaurant. We're searching. We're looking. All my kids are looking. Now, by this time, everybody in Chick-fil-A is looking, and I cannot find him. 30 minutes go by, and I'm like, oh, my, I have lost my son. But I want you to understand something. There was one thing in that moment when I felt that panic overtake me. There was something that was certain. I'm not leaving Chick-fil-A until Peter is with me. I'm not leaving this restaurant until that boy is safe and we get back in the van and we go home. And I look over in the corner of my eye and I see this four-year-old, probably at the time he's two or three, happily coming down a slide. <laughs> I want you to understand something. When I was in that Chick-fil-A, I had made up my mind that no matter what was going on, I was not leaving that Chick-fil-A without Peter. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Jesus has determined and already predetermined in his mind that this morning he is not leaving without some of you. He's not leaving without some of you. I want you to know this. See, some of us have been running for far too long. And you understand the cross. You understand that Jesus paid for your mess. Like You understand the jargon, right? You understand the Christian lingo. You know what that means, but you don't really know what it means. See, it's a difference to have knowledge about Easter, but it's a completely different thing to actually experience Easter. 
When you come into a place and you realize, like, man, God loves me so much that he's not leaving without me. He loves me so much that he will chase me down. He loves me so much, listen to this, that sometimes he will put obstacles in your way to grab your attention. Have you ever done that? Like, God, why are you being so mean to me? God's saying, I'm not being mean to you. He says, I care more about your soul, so I'm just going to stir some things up in your life until you finally go, okay, I'm done. I tap. What if all the bad things in your life were actually the grace of God? What if all the things in your life that caused you tension in your life right now is actually God saying, listen, I'm not leaving here without you. You can fight, you can pull, you can struggle, you can run, but I love you so much that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you. See, today Jesus is calling us to leave our pain in the grave. He's calling us to leave our shame in the grave. He's calling us to leave our suffering in the grave. I love this quote by a man named Clarence W. Hall, and it says this. Easter says you can put truth in a grave but it won't stay there. You can nail it to a cross, wrap it in winding sheets, and shut it in a tomb, but it will rise. But it will rise. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for you? What is the resurrection going to do for you now? Well, you have to understand this. You are not who you used to be. You are who you are becoming. And can I just be honest with you? Some of us are defining ourselves by the mistakes. And God's looking at us going, listen, I'm over that. You've asked me for forgiveness for a thousand times. I've already forgiven you. Let's move on. <laughs> I've, I've already taken care of that. I've already paid for your sin. So here's what I want you to know. You are not who you used to be. You're not where you used to go. God says, listen, if you are becoming sanctified, if you are becoming a new creation in me, you are who you are becoming. And that's the greatest news in the world. What if you really believe that hope was actually alive this morning? What if you really believe that you actually had a family to belong to? You know, that's why church is so important. What if you actually believe that you mattered? What if you actually believe that you have a future and a destiny here on this earth? And let's just be honest, some of us have given up on our hopes and our dreams. We're not interested in creating the future anymore because we're so stuck in the past and you can't create a future when you keep going backwards. And so Jesus is calling some of us this morning to say, listen, I paid for your past. I paid for your mistakes. I know you've got shame. I know you've got regrets. I know you've got guilt. But listen, I've taken care of that. There's a passage in Revelations 21, 3 through 7, that I have not been able to get out of my mind lately. And it is the greatest hope that I feel like I could share with you on Easter. It is this promise to everyone that makes a decision to follow the Lord. It is this promise that says every bad thing that you have ever done in life will one day be undone. So I want you to know this. If you find yourself in a position today where you are a son or daughter of Christ, this is a promise to you. 
If you find yourself in a position today where you say, man, I honestly don't know Jesus, this is also a promise to you if you accept him today. And here's what it says. Revelations 21, 3 through 7. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Listen to this in verse 4. And apply this to yourself personally. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I love this. It says, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the waters of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these things and blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. That's a promise. It says that one day, everything that you've done, every regret will one day be undone and wiped away. So I want to pull a few truths out of this passage. And the first one is simple. Hope says that death is not your destiny. Hope says that death is not your destiny because it says he will one day wipe away every tear from your eye and take away every suffering and pain and sorrow. See, if you are a believer in Christ, it means that you will never die. Though your body may one day waste away, your spirit will live and you'll be made new. But let's, let's personalize it. And we live in a culture where depression and anxiety literally reign supreme. If you look at the statistics from about 15 years ago, I mean, people were barely talking about depression and anxiety. And now it's something that plagues millions. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But the truth is, hope says that death is not your destiny. Hope says that depression is not your destiny. Hope says that your sickness is not your destiny, that there is healing for you. But sometimes when we get stuck in this world and our eyes are on this world, it's so easy to just focus on what's right in front of us, right? What if your future was not marked by all your regrets, but it was marked by a hope that is found in Jesus? The second thing that hope says is simply this. Hope says, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. This actually applies to us today. Man, if you accept Jesus today, or maybe for some of you, it's just a returning back to him. Hope simply says, listen, today I'm making everything new. Like the life that you're living right now, I'm reconstructing it. I'm deconstructing. I'm tearing it down. I'm making things new. Here's the truth. Jesus is not interested in making a better version of you. He's interested in making you new. And let me explain it to you this way. I heard a story a few years back about this developer in New York, and he bought this abandoned building. And this building had all the windows, you know, broken in. They're all shattered. All the glass was scattered all over the floor. And there were certain parts where the floors had actually caved in and there's rubble when you walk in. And the building was just a mess. 
It was an absolute disaster. And this developer is looking at this building, and he finally purchases this building. The, the, the cell finally goes through, and he has a contractor come to him, and he says, hey, so what are you going to do with the building? Are you going to start? Are you going to rebuild the walls? Are you going to put some new windows in? And the developer kind of laughs at him. He kind of says, new windows. He said, I, I, didn't, I didn't buy this building for the mess that it is in. I bought this building to tear it down because I just want the site. And I'm going to build a brand new building. And listen to me. That's exactly what God wants to do to you this morning. God's not, God sees the mess in your life. He sees every little piece that has fallen down. And God's saying, that doesn't bother me. I just want the site. That's all I want. Just give me yourself and I'll make something new. God's not coming in and saying, yeah, I'll put some new windows in and I'll do that. No, he completely deconstructs everything and he says, listen, I want to give you a fresh start. I think for some of us, we bought into the lie that our mess actually scares God. (laughs) We look at our life and go, God, like, I don't know how you can fix this. And I think God would just lovingly say to us this morning, like, do you honestly think that's a big deal? I I like hung stars. (laughs) Planets were formed. I spoke oceans into existence. Do you think your shame is too big for me? He looks at us today and he says, look, there's nothing that you deal with, one that surprises me. There's nothing that you walk through in this life that is too great for me to fix. But listen, if you get stuck in religion, what you end up doing, rather than having an encounter with Jesus, you just try to replace the windows. See, when you get stuck in religion, you just try to follow all the rules, and it becomes all about, do I say the right things? I mean, when people get in my car, like KJN better be playing, right? I mean, do I have to go to, like, Mardell's now and buy the T-shirts and drink all the weird coffee cups and put a sticker? Like, it's got to be a cross sticker on my window. That's religion. Jesus is saying, I don't care about the T-shirts, the coffee cups, the music you listen to. All I care about is you're a wreck, and I have hope. (laughs) So here's what religion says. Try harder, do more. But here's the problem with religion. Try to make a better version of yourself is like sweeping the floor of a building that just had a wrecking ball come through it. You can't clean anything up. See, Christianity is so much more than religion. It's so much more than rules and regulations. When you fall madly in love with Jesus because who he is and what he offers you, listen to me. You will follow him and do what he says, not based out of rules, but based out of a gracious love that you have experienced and encountered. Because here's the truth. When you realize that you have been forgiven of much, it softens you. And when you realize that a God came in to the confines of your life and says, I know it's big, but I'm much bigger. See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new is coming. The third thing that hope says is this. Hope says, if you're weary, 
I will sustain you. Listen, some of you have been serving Jesus for a long time. But if we're just honest, God hasn't been the focus of your life. I think if we're just brutally honest with ourselves, sometimes the only reason that we attend church and try Jesus is because we want a quick ticket out of hell, right? I want to I do the checklist. I want to do everything right. But here's the truth. It's so much more than that. Like following Jesus is the most adventurous, freeing life that you could ever live if you do it right. Following Jesus knowing that I can wake up every single morning without this burden of shame weighing me down. See, hope says, if you're weary, I will sustain you. It says this in Revelations. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of life. So let me paint a picture for you real quick. Many of us remain thirsty in life because we're simply drinking from the wrong well. We think that a new car is going to satisfy us. A new phone is going to satisfy us. New clothes. And, and here's the truth. All of those things kind of give us, you ever bought like a new, new shirt and then you put it on, you go out with your friends, you're like, man, I feel good, right? And then you wear it two or three times and you're like, it, it, the shirt just doesn't do what it used to, right? And then you want another one. Or maybe you get the new phone and you're like, man, this is amazing, and like two days later, Apple releases another one, and now you have like a junky one, right? See, the truth is, if you're drinking from the wrong well, you'll never have enough. It's like being stranded on a desert island, and there's salt water all around you, and you're thirsty, and there's water all around you, but you can't drink any of it. You can't drink any of it. See, the reason that some of us remain and continually remain thirsty in our walk with Jesus is because we're drinking from the wrong well. We, let's just be honest for a moment. We think, well, if I just had a new wife that wasn't so nagging all the time, my life would be great. Or if my husband would just learn to close the toilet seat, I wouldn't have to kill him and fall in it every time. Right? <laughs> or we think, if I get a, a new thing, a new car, a new house, new clothes, new stuff, that things will just kind of go into order. And the problem is that never satisfies us in the long term. It gives us a quick fix. We get a quick high from it. But that's all it ever is. And Jesus wants you to drink from a well where you'll never be thirsty again. He says if you drink from this well, it's not going to be like drinking seawater. It doesn't sustain you. If you drink from this well that I have for you, it's going to be something that carries you and lasts forever. When you begin to understand this, your purpose in life begins to come into focus. Your destiny in life begins to come into focus. Your dreams begin to come alive again. When you start drinking from the, wrong, from the right well, you begin to realize, oh, this is the path that God has for me. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, and listen, and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. See, God has good things for you this morning. He has a good plan for you. 
So I want to close with this, this thought that I've been chewing on all week. And I think that Jesus actually modeled it for us. But if you remember anything that I say, remember this. What wounded you doesn't have to hold you down forever. Whatever hurt you doesn't have to hold you down forever. Whatever person broke a promise and lied to you does not have to be the thing that defines your life. Whatever situation that just broke your spirit, it does not have to define you. Because here's the deal. If Jesus' wounds would have defined him, he would have never rose from the grave. See, Jesus wasn't defined by his wounds. He was actually defined by his scars. Meaning, he had proof that those wounds, yeah, they hurt. I didn't like it in the moment. But my scars are actually proof of my power. (laughs) See, you can take your pain and you can allow the enemy to drag you down with it, to beat you up, to tell you that you'll never be good enough. Or you can take your wounds and the things that have wounded you and you can allow God to turn them into scars and you can point to other people and say, listen, that's where I was at, but guess what? This is what God's done. Listen, the nails didn't have the final say, the grave did, right? There's this moment in history when we see that Jesus actually rises from the grave and for 40 days he actually walks the earth and he's talking with people and he would just randomly appear to people. And you guys remember Thomas? Thomas is the one disciple that says, listen, I know y'all all think y'all saw Jesus, but he's dead. <laughs> I saw him die. Like dead people don't rise. And all these people keep coming to Thomas and they say, Thomas, listen, we saw him. And he's like, well, you need to go take your pill because you're crazy, right? You did not see Jesus. And, they fi- and th- Thomas finally says this, okay, if I can put my finger in the wounds, in the scars, I'll believe it's him. And so here's where we pick it up. In John 20, 24 through 29, it says, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came the first time. He was one of the 12 followers, and he was called the twin. The other followers told him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, I will not believe until I see the marks made by the nails in his hands. I will not believe until I put my finger into the marks of the nails. I will not believe until I put my hand into his side. Eight days later, the followers were again inside the house. Thomas was there with them. The doors were locked. I love that little detail. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus came and said, may peace be with you. He said, Thomas, put your finger into my hands. Put your hand into my side. Do not doubt, believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. Those who are happy, who have never seen me, and yet believe. Listen to me. Jesus' scars were proof of his power. I find it interesting that when Jesus actually appears to Thomas, he didn't say, look at my wounds. Here's the truth. You cannot live a fulfilled life if you are living out of a wound. 
Because here's what it does. You put on this lens and you view everything distorted. You view everything through your pain. Everything through your depression. Everything through your anxiety. Everything through a relationship that offended you or hurt you. Jesus doesn't say, look at my wounds. He says, no, 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 no. Look at my scars. He says, my wounds no longer define me, Thomas. It's about my scars. I have healed and I have risen from the grave. See, every single person, raise your hand if you have ever been wounded. You cannot live this life and not be offended or hurt. But here's the truth. The nails do not have the final say. You will be hurt in life. But you have an opportunity, a decision to make this morning. Are you going to live out of wounds or are you going to live out of scars? Because if you live out of scars, it says Jesus comes in and he says, listen, that was, that's what the cross is for. I paid for your mess and that's why we have the grave. I defeated death. So that you can move on and so that doesn't have to remain as an open wound. I want to close with this. I'm going to call the band back up now. And this may be quite controversial, but hang with me for a moment when I say this. When Jesus died, when the cross happened, and he breathed his final breath, there were no believers There were no believers. Because when he died, he claimed too much about himself. How do gods die? See, if Jesus was dead, he was clearly not who he claimed to be. How can you kill God? When he died, for many, the dream was over. It was gone. Hope was defeated. There was no movement to keep on going. It was over. Why was it over? Because everybody expected Jesus to do what every other dead person does. Stay dead. But what actually was intended as the end was just the beginning. So listen to me. You have to hear this. You may find yourself at the very end. What if your perspective was to change this morning? What if God says, listen, I have just brought you to the end so that you realize you can't do it by yourself. You can't keep running this way. You can't keep operating this way. What if you find yourself at the end and it's actually just your opportunity for the beginning? See, when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, that's when we get believers. That's now we have a movement to keep up and churches to be planted and lives to be transformed because Jesus was actually who he said he was. He wasn't just like every other man. He did not do what every other dead person did. He came back to life. So I want you to know this this morning. You may find yourself at the end. You may feel like it's over. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And sometimes when you're wounded and sometimes when you're hurt, it sure feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like Jesus has forgotten you. It feels like it's over. But the truth is, Jesus is just beginning something in your life. 